The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. From the quarterback is ready. Here comes the try for two. He has the snap. He drops. He looks. Pressure collapses. He's running, and he will be stopped short. They've tackled him. The ball game is over. Here's the 0-1. It is a fastball yeah. swung on, and that's uh -oh. hammered. Uh -oh. Way back to left center and uh -oh. off the scoreboard at Biden Field. Aaron Judge hit two home runs his entire freshman season. He has hit two and two at bats against a pitcher expected to go number one in the June draft. Welcome to Talk Back. I'm Cooper Boardman. Before we go further, a reminder, subscribe to Talk Back on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at WAER Sports, and on SoundCloud, just search WAER. This week, Talkback takes its college tours. We start down south in Atlanta with Andy Demetra. Twins each way for Oliver. He hits Mason to his left hip inside of a minute in the second quarter. A speed run by Oliver to the left, cuts it back middle at the five, and he's going to walk in. Touchdown, Jackets! The 03 Syracuse grad talks about his journey from SEC to ACC, and he tells us all the stories along the way. Plus, we'll also head west to meet the man who literally wrote the book on Cinderella. Burke's first pitch with a runner going, swung on, line to right. Detweiler hustling to his left. Yes, it for the out. The Get unthinkable dirty. has happened in Omaha. Get dirty. Move over, Get Hickory dirty. High. Take that, Texas Western. Woo. The ultimate underdog to wonder dog story has unfolded in Omaha. That's Fresno State's Paul Leffler, who explains what's so special about California's Central Valley. But today, we start in the Appalachian Mountains. Brom, the quarterback, is ready. Here comes the try for two. He has the snap. He drops. He looks. Pressure collapses. He's running, and he will be stopped short. They've tackled him. The ball game is over. The West Virginia University Mountaineers have rallied to defeat the Louisville Cardinals in one of the greatest games in West Virginia football history. The Mountaineers prevail 46-44. to It is a great night to be a Mountaineer wherever you may be. It's over in Morgantown. Tony Caridi graduated from Syracuse in 1984. He left, and he got his first good look at the world outside of central New York when he interviewed for a job in Morgantown, West Virginia. I got off an exit too early, and I went into this community called Saberton, and I drove down. It was a Sunday afternoon in July. I was coming down here for my interview, and I thought that I thought the main drag in Saberton was downtown Morgantown. And I went, I am out of here. <laughs> and, and then I figured out, no, actually, you got to keep going a little bit further. But to me, it was um, it was it was neat. I mean, it, it's it's got that college feel to it. We don't have a main street. We have a high street. And it was it was just kind of a super summery day. And at that time, the summers were really super quiet, did not nearly have as many people here. The school has grown huge numbers. I mean, we're at 30,000 pop 30,000 enrollment now. And so, I mean, the, the, the time that I that I have been here, everything's gotten huge. Um, the city's gotten gotten bigger. Um, the student enrollment, as I said, has gotten bigger. And so it's a classic college town with great tradition. Obviously, it's got hills. Um, the, the, the geography is very, very different from where, you know, where I came from. 
Western New York and, uh, you know, Syracuse. I mean, even though the campus sits on the hill, there really aren't many true uh, hills. So you got some, some interesting topography here. Um, and there's, uh, there's, it's, it's a, it's a good feel. It's a good vibe. Um, and it's, it's grown incredibly over the last 30 plus years. Tony Caridi never expected to stay so long, and that's understandable. Almost nobody expects a decades-long job that early in their career. And on top of that fact, West Virginia already had its voice, a really, really special one in front of him. He was not only the voice of the Mountaineers for over 40 years, so he did Hot Rod Hunley, he did Jerry West, he did the whole deal. He was the voice of all of those initial Steelers Super Bowl championships with Bradshaw. He's the voice of the Immaculate Reception. Um, so he's a legendary broadcaster, and so those are difficult situations oftentimes for the next guy in. But Caridi found his spot. He ended up seeing undefeated regular seasons, the program's entrance into the Big East. Eventually, he'd call top five teams and a Final Four run. All of that because he decided to stay in Morgantown. Time goes by, and uh, the legendary voice of the Mountaineers, Jack Fleming, uh, became ill at the start of the 96 season and they offered me the radio job uh, here. And, you know, that was um, something that I looked at at that time. I had three kids, three boys at that 96, the twins were just a year old. My oldest was five years old and it just made sense to say, guess what? Half of my games will be at home. And the fact that the Mountaineer sports network you know, had this just tremendous reputation and just a culture of high quality. I said, yeah, I'm in. And that became 1996. And so uh, it just goes by unbelievably fast. And I think that's the one thing that you'll learn. And I think uh, you talk with others, they'll say how fast time goes by. So Caridi steps into the job, and you don't just snap your fingers and fill the spot of an icon, especially in West Virginia. Jack Fleming is what's called the forever voice of the Mountaineers. This is someone who did four Super Bowls, did seven AFC championships, and even an NBA All-Star game. Bradshaw running out of the pocket, looking for somebody to throw to, fires it downfield. Someone grows up for generations hearing that one voice doing those games. Those are Saturdays and those are memories that they have forever from their childhood. So I think time has to happen. And I also think that your team has to have success. And when those things happen at high levels, then you get associated with those moments. And that's how that evolution takes place. NCAA tournament underway in Columbus. Gets the ball underneath the Williams. Shot good and a foul. Since I started doing the games like 96, 2006, 2000, it's 24 years. So anyone that's born that's probably like 28 years and younger, that's all they know is me doing the games. And so that's what happens. That's how people eventually over the long haul become accepted. Uh, is and that's how Jack was, right? So that was Jack was forty plus years. It takes time, and uh, it's been uh, it's been great. You might ask, why does it matter so much? But what you have to understand is 
it matters to West Virginia. The Mountaineers are the state. We're talking about the place where couches burn in the streets after big wins. Country Roads is the official state song, and the school's marching band is called the Pride of West Virginia. They are the professional team for the state. And because it's a state school, there are just tons of folks that have graduated from the school. Their kids go to the school. And as a result, that association never leaves them. It's also a huge part of the culture for them that they come to games from all over the state. And those football Saturdays become just unbelievable memories and traditions. And that's why it's, it's such a big deal. That's why you can do crazy hours of football programming on Saturdays, right? So you're on the air at like 8.30 in the morning for a noon game, and you're not off the air until about 8, 7, 38 o'clock at night. People care, and that's what makes the job special. And the cool thing is that in this place that is filled with all of this passion for sports, Caridi built a broadcasting program of his own. He used his new home to help those who started where he did. Dave Pash of ESPN, Dave Ryan of CBS Sports, Dave Jagler of the Washington Nationals. All of those careers started on the banks of the Mon. It was awesome to be able to do that. And the reason why we did that was because we knew that people who came through WAER were going to be prepared to jump right in to do what it was that we do. Uh, they were going to have a work ethic. They were going to have an understanding of how to do it at a very high level. And not to say that they were finished products by any stretch, but they came here and the, the desire that they had to continue to grow was going to make them excellent entry-level employees. And, you know, they didn't stay. They, they, to me, I always looked at it like, okay, come on down here and do your graduate, your GA for one year. Give us Give us a season, and we will work the living piss out of you, and you'll be that much better when you leave. And that's what I wanted when I got here, and we just did such a tremendous amount of stuff. I mean, our football pregame programming, um, it was a 10, 10 to 12-hour day, and we did high school games, and we did state tournaments and every sport and broadcast them statewide and talk show every single day. So it was just like nonstop. We've heard throughout this podcast that those Syracuse connections, they stake themselves everywhere. It's true in West Virginia. It's true in central New York. But it's even true all the way west in California with Paul Leffler. When I say Syracuse, those four years, what do you remember? Well, I remember that I was uh, certainly naive to how to walk on ice uh, coming from sunny California. Uh, I think I fell on my backside four or five, six times on Marshall Street before I learned I better go buy some boots on Marshall Street. But it was a real eye-opening experience for me. You know, um, the the culture was different. I was around people. You know, most of my friends were from big cities, uh, and I'm from a small town in California. So not just the accents, not just some of the, the ethnic differences, um, but just learning their life perspectives and comparing that and, and bringing all those things together. Had some outstanding professors, not just in Newhouse, but across the campus. Paul Leffler finished school in Cuse in 98. He went home and he took a TV job in Fresno, California. So less than a couple hours away from where he grew up. 
At the time, David Carr was the quarterback for the Bulldogs. David took over college football, if you remember. He pushed Fresno State to as high as a number eight ranking, and he'd eventually be the number one pick in the NFL draft. And at that point, Carr was bringing a tag along to some of the local interviews he did with Leffler. All right, let's move on to another member of the Carr family. He's the one who's actually wearing number eight right now, <laughs> David's younger brother, Derek. Derek, I understand that you are the president of the David uh, Carr for Heisman campaign. Is that true? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, been fun for the uh, brother to be up for the Heisman and win the Johnny Unitas Award and all this great stuff happening for him. And the, the whole premise of our interview on our set was Derek advocating for David and pleading his case why had he been left out of the Heisman finalists because four guys got to go to New York City and David Carr wasn't one of them so here's Derek with a voice like this telling us he's better than Rex Grossman and Ken Dorsey and it, it's just classic stuff. It's not true and you know that they can't make the throws your brother can and you know that well he's just the best quarterback in the nation and that's just a great thing to know. When Derek was finishing up his high school career and uh, you found out he was coming here, it was like, wow, this is going to be fun because you had seen that passion in the young man at an early age. Third and seven for Carr and the Dogs. It's going to be a pass. Derek to throw for the end zone. Isaiah Burst dives and hauls it in in that blue and gold end zone. The Bulldogs are back in front with a minute 43 to go in this half. Derek Carr threw seven touchdowns last week. He has thrown six in the first half on this Friday afternoon in San Jose. To be able to have known him for so long, uh, to know what he's all about, to see the heart that he has for others, um, to see the way he stands up for what he believes in, and the way he goes about his craft, his commitment. Uh, Derek Carr is one of those guys that I think any university would be proud to have represent him. And that's the kind of place that Fresno is. Just like Morgantown, it's far away from the dominance of pro sports. And because of that, it matters to the people who know it best. Now, I, I grew up about an hour west of here in a town called Los Banos, and, and I was a big Giants fan and 49ers fan and Warriors fan. You've got a lot of people here who are Lakers fans and Dodgers fans. But Fresno State is kind of the one umbrella that all those groups can kind of rally around. The baseball coach is here now, Mike Batesel, who won that national championship. He calls it the last college town in California. So it's, it's different, I think, from a UCLA or a Stanford or a Cal or a USC that have a, a very you know, vibrant fan base, but they don't own that community's mentality. And Fresno State really here is the pride of the Valley. So for those folks who had seen you know, some other great moments, they'd seen a national championship in softball 10 years earlier, there'd been some Division II championships and some incredible athletes that have come from here, that was the moment that they dreamed about and been close to really for 50 years, and it finally materialized. So that's, that's what it meant. There were rallies in the streets. You know, traffic was blocked off. Um, I was hearing from people from all over the country and all over the world with how they experienced it. It was really something that was eye-opening and, and unforgettable. You heard Paul Leffler mention that 2008 College World Series. And if you know Fresno State or if you know college baseball, then you know that 08 run was special. The Bulldogs were the last seed in their regional, the equivalent of a 15 or a 16 seed, and they were riddled with injuries. I think the biggest thing is uh, that the impossible is really possible. Because what that team did really was impossible in the history of college baseball or any sport. I mean, it really was and remains, I believe, the, the greatest upset story of all time. They lost their, their number one pitcher, an All-American, was out for that entire run, 
and it was just the ultimate overcoming all odds kind of story that defied everything you thought you ever knew about sports. So finally, the moments here, that championship moment. Fresno State goes into the final inning. They're up five runs on number eight Georgia. And what's going through Paul Leffler's head? Because I had a broadcast partner. Uh, that was the first year that we had worked together. He's a great, enthusiastic guy. He just passed away this last year. Ray Canto was his name. But here's a guy who had played in the program uh, who had all this passion and energy for his alma mater. And before Fresno State made it to Omaha, when the Bulldogs won at Arizona State, which to me was the biggest upset of the whole thing, Arizona State was 38-3 and at home that year, 38-3, and and the Bulldogs had to win two out of three there against a team that had 15 major league draft picks on that roster. But when Fresno State won that final game at Arizona State, uh, if you've ever been to that old stadium, Packard Stadium, which they don't use anymore, there's a, a little broadcast position on the roof. And this is a super regional, so you've got you know ESPN TV there and Arizona State's broadcasters. And so Ray and I are up on the roof. And the side of the roof only comes up to about your knee. And when Fresno State you know, caught the last out in left field, Steve Sosdorf made a sliding catch, and he threw the ball up in the air. And Ray just about threw himself off the roof. He, he jumped up in the air, pumping his fists and screaming. And literally, I still believe to this day, that it was the headset cables that prevented him from tumbling off the side of that roof. So I was remembering how excited he got in that moment. And as you know, and, and everyone who's gone through any broadcast program at Syracuse knows, you know, you've got to tell the story, especially on radio. It's different from TV. In TV, you're captioning something the viewer can see. In radio, you are their eyes and ears. So if two people are talking at the same time, you don't know what's going on. If one person's screaming, you think it's good, but you don't know. So here I am as we go into that, that last break, going into that last half inning in Omaha, Fresno State's ahead 6-1, to one, and I'm thinking, should I say something to Ray about not going too crazy here so we can actually tell everybody what happened before? And then I thought, you know, I don't want to get in his head, I don't want it to be inauthentic, and I didn't say anything to him. Burke's first pitch with a runner going, swung on, line to right, Detweiler hustling to his left. So we get to that moment. And, you know, Steve Detweiler is a young man who catches the ball in right field. And since his teammate had thrown the ball up in the air and lost it in the Super Regionals, he takes that ball and sticks it in his back pocket. But I'm there describing the call. And if you listen to it now, you can hear Ray with all that enthusiasm and energy just dying to get out. And, and you'll hear little, it's like a, a kettle boiling over. The steam is coming out. Yes, it for the out! The unthinkable has happened in Omaha! Get dirty! Move over, Hickory High. Take that, Texas Western. The ultimate underdog to wonder dog story has unfolded in Omaha. The Fresno State Diamond Dogs are national champions with the craziest dog pile you've ever seen between the mound and second base. And then when I finally pause for a split second, he just, you know, exudes all this alumni passion. And he says, get dirty, baby, get, get dirty, dirty get baby, dirty. get dirty, get dirty, get dirty. Oh my goodness! From where they were I to think where they are now, the, the ceiling. Nolan Ryan and Warren Buffett are in the next booth next to us, looking, what are these guys doing over here? And I think you know because we're so trained at Syracuse to be objective, to tell the story of the game, to not get too emotionally involved. There's almost like this uh, this built-in disdain for a reaction like that, and I had to check myself because what I realized was. You have all these people for all these years 
who've wanted Fresno State to win a national championship, and they've been close so many times, and this guy played in that program and wore that uniform, and his reaction right there is what everybody's doing back home in Fresno in the Valley right now. So it was a real, it was a real unique moment, and I think an eye-opening moment for me to say, hey, don't squash that. That's genuine enthusiasm, and that's what everybody at home is feeling. For the voice of the Yellow Jackets, Andy Demetra, one of his biggest early moments came in the same spot, Omaha. Merrifield now back in, he's ready. Klein at the letters, pumps the 2-0. Swing, line drive, right field, it drops! Coming home is Wingo, he touches home! The game is over, the game is over, the wait is over! The Gamecocks are the national champions! It's special because uh, South Carolina had never won a College World Series. It is real, folks. The Gamecocks are the national champions of college baseball. So it was uh, just so memorable, uh, even more so because this is my first year broadcasting for South Carolina. And there are so many guys in the business who I, I love, admire, and respect who have been associated with their teams or their franchises for three and four decades who have never had the opportunity to call a title. And here I was my very first year uh, back in South Carolina, and I get a chance to call this moment that you knew meant so much to so many people. Um, so, so very memorable. It's something that I, I didn't take for granted then. I still don't take for granted now. Uh, to be able to call another national championship the next year was even sweeter. The fact that South Carolina won its two national titles the last year they played the College World Series at Rosenblatt Stadium, and the first year they played at TD Ameritrade Park uh, just added a, an, an extra layer of meaning to it. But it's it, it's certainly something I'll cherish for the rest of my career. Very special and something I'll, I'll always remember vividly. Demetra's a 2003 SU grad from just outside of Chicago. So a city kid had a big transition to make when his first major play-by-play -play job was in SEC country with South Carolina. I, I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago, so the teams I followed were all professional teams. I wasn't tethered to any particular college program. My mom went to an all-girls college. My dad went to... Uh, he went to the University of Detroit, which disbanded its football program, I think, his sophomore year. Uh, and, and so their allegiance to their, their universities wasn't exactly passed down to, to me and my brother. But you get down to the SEC, and it's just a, a vastly different experience culturally uh, when you see you know, the, the, the intense attention that's paid and, and the loyalty that's shown by the fans to every last waking you know, moment of this football program of, of the teams and the community, it, it's something else. It leaves an imprint on you. Um, and, and it was certainly something that, you know, as much as, as we were surrounded by big time athletics at, at Syracuse and taking nothing away from you know, my four years at Syracuse, um, it's just, it's, it's different in, in a way. Sometimes it's hard to describe when you get down uh, into the Southeastern conference. The job process, especially when you're jumping between Power 5 conferences, is a really interesting one. You're constantly asking, what sets you apart? And in Demetra's case, it was un poco help from a skill he started back at Syracuse. A Spanish-language interview 
I think I'll clinch the Georgia Tech job for me. Frank, primero, ¿cuánto orgullo se siente sabiendo que será parte de algo tan especial, tan importante para la cultura hispana y también para el deporte de básquetbol al colegio? Eh, esa es una de mis responsabilidad, responsabilidades mayores, Andy. So, at, at South Carolina, my last four years there, our head basketball coach was Frank Martin, Cuban-American, and very proud of his heritage. And my last year there, they had a non-conference game with USF, which at the time was coached by Orlando Antigua. And it was billed as the first ever Division I basketball game between two uh, Uh, head coaches of Hispanic descent. Frank, to that point, I don't think he knew that I graduated with a Spanish literature degree from Syracuse, didn't know that I could speak it somewhat. Eh, nosotros tenemos, Orlando y yo tenemos una pasión increíble porque el basquetbol nos ha traído un, un éxito en la vida de nosotros increíble. Eh, saber que podemos utilizar ese momento, no para ganar otro juego, pero para tratar de abrirle la puerta a otro muchacho que sea como nosotros. Pues ahora vez solo a dos, usted y Orlando. Claro que quieren que ese número crezca, pero con mm -hmm. este partido... And it was one of the things that I showed to Georgia Tech when I interviewed for the job as an example of what I can do for them. You know, that, that's probably the, the, uh, the, the one time, I don't know if it's the only time, but it's certainly the most memorable time that those two things intersected in my career. Three seasons at Georgia Tech, Spanish minor bolstering all of that. Demetra has now seen big transitions in Atlanta. He's seen the transition from triple option to not. He's seen big wins on the court, too. But Andy Demetra's favorite game of his career is still the first one. My very first football game for Georgia Tech, they played Boston College in Dublin, Ireland. I'm pretty sure one of the first questions they asked me in my interview is, is your passport valid? <laughs> so that was the setting that I'll never forget. Georgia Tech won. Uh, they scored the game-winning touchdown with less than a minute to go. That's an easy way to ingratiate yourself with a fan base when your very first time out in a shoot, you get to call uh, this white-knuckle winning game. Working attack means tons of opportunities. It means trips to Dublin, but it also means Demetra gets to come back to Syracuse. First year... Uh, we played Syracuse in the regular season finale, and that was the first time I'd been back to campus in more than a decade. So a, a lot has changed, certainly for the better at SU uh, in that span. Uh, so it's kind of fun to get reacquainted with it and rekindle some of those memories. Uh, also realizing that it was a long time ago that I, I was an <laughs> undergrad. I got a lot more rings up my tree since the last time I, I went through campus but uh nice, nice to take a stroll down memory lane always fun when you can be at the carrier dome because you you gain an even bit greater appreciation once you leave about how much they care about basketball how enthusiastic and passionate they are and that always makes for a fun environment in which to broadcast whether it's for syracuse or whether you're you're broadcasting on behalf of syracuse's opponent we'll be back on campus soon and we'll care a lot We don't know what exactly that looks like, and that's okay too, because the truth is, those who leave Syracuse never actually stop caring about it. They show that in their own ways, whether that's a pipeline from Syracuse to Morgantown, whether that's a final call mixed with passion for a program, or just valuing the chance to come back every year, there's this special bond created in a college town, and we're really grateful for ours. Thank you so far to the 30 Syracuse alumni who have joined us on the 10 episodes of Talkback so far, and those who have taken the time to share their stories. We're excited for what's next. Thanks for joining us for our 10th episode today. A thank you to Tony Caridi, Paul Leffler, 
and Andy Demetra for their time. This was the WAER Sports Podcast produced by Carl Mogline, along with reporting from Brandon Ross and Jaron May. I'm Cooper Boardman, and we'll talk to you next week.